Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry, along with Dusty Weiss, my guest co-host today. And a reminder that the Brewers are coming up at 2 p.m., so we have a short show, but still a packed show. Still a fun show. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot still. to talk about. Absolutely. So my favorite t-shirt, I, I'm a big fan of funny t-shirts. My favorite t-shirt that I think I got from Urban Outfitters when I was a kid was of a dairy farm, and it said, Wisconsin. Come smell our derriere. Oh, that's a classic. That's <laughs> and, awesome. You know, it was because we are we are America's dairy land. It's on all of our license plates. And yet dairy in Wisconsin is changing. I mean, it's a part of our identity, right? Uh, one of my best buddies' wives has the old Wisconsin license plate, the dairy farm uh, uh, landscape tattooed on her forearm, um, which I still think is one of the best tattoos that I've ever seen. That's a pretty good one. But our relationship with dairy is what's changing in this state. Because 50 years ago, there were 48,000 dairy farms in the state of Wisconsin. And today, that number is below 6,000. That's 46,000 dairy farms that have just disappeared. And both of my grandparents on my dad's side, they're dairy kids, right? Uh, my grandpa lived on a dairy farm. Uh, my grandma's dad worked on a dairy farm. But the generational shift that's happened since then means that fewer of us in Wisconsin have a connection to where our food comes from. And I think that's kind of sad. Um, there was a survey that was done in 2020 that found nearly a quarter of small dairy operations in the state planned to close up shop over the next five years. And unfortunately, one of those operations belonged to Dan Wegmuller, a farmer from Monroe, who just sold off his herd this past weekend. So this uh, is fresh. This is very fresh. And if you don't know farmers, it's not just your career, it's your identity as being a farmer. And so we wanted to talk about what these changes mean for Wisconsin's identity and what folks like Dan are trying to do about it. So Dan, thank you for joining us. Um, a farm auction is always tough. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. How you holding up, man? Yeah, you know what? Thanks for asking, Dusty. I appreciate that a lot. By the way, beautiful setup for this segment. I mean, you could not have hit the nail on the head more perfectly as to not only what we're what we're evolving into, but also how we're changing as an industry and also as a family farm. We're fourth generation. Uh, we just sold the cows on Saturday, so just a few days ago. And you're absolutely right. I mean, this is about as raw as it gets. I milked my last cow yesterday evening, and it very much felt like the end of an era, not only for myself, but, um, you know, the identity of the the identity of the farm is going to change moving forward, too. Because I haven't spent a lot of time on dairy farms. I am a Madison kid, and I was more of a city kid. But the time that I have, what I understand is, even if you have a big herd, you have a relationship with each of those cows. It's not just kind of nameless, faceless cows. It's like you know each of them. Yeah, Saturday's auction, uh, we moved 60 head of cattle, ranging in age from milking cows all the way down to what we would call breeding age cattle, so about the 15-month age, something like that. And every single one of them, we knew them by name. We knew their bloodlines. We knew their families. As I was signing registration papers over to the new, buy the new owners, to the buyers, I mean, I recognize names that not only go back to my childhood, but honestly go back to the dairy herd and the cow families that my dad started in the 1970s when he came home from college. So we're talking about a, a two-generation, a multi-generational spread, a multi-generational legacy. So and, what? And, and this might sound a little bit cheesy, pardon the pun, but these cows are not just a part of your family. They're a part of the community, too. I mean, there's a parade every year where those cows get led through downtown Monroe. There's a, there's a cow parade? There's a cow parade. Yeah, <laughs> every two years. Actually, even years. So this year is a cheese days year, and 
We start, that is a tradition that my dad started in the early 1990s. We lead off this like multi-hour parade with, uh, with cows leading the parade. And as somebody that had a chance to travel after high school, I spent some time in Australia, spent some time in Switzerland. That's a very old world tradition when the farmers would bring their cows down from the mountains and their summer grazing down to their winter housing in the valleys. They would parade, they to this day walk their dairy cows right through the towns of Switzerland, towns of Europe. And traffic comes to a standstill. People, of course, in this day and age, people are taking pictures and recording it. It's a very beautiful thing, but it's also a very real thing. I think there's a lot to be said to that because it connects, it forces people to connect with not only how food is produced, but also the people and the the culture that provides that. So what was the tipping point for your family to come to this decision? Yeah, this, so this was not made easily. I mean, this this was a big decision. And a lot of families, as Dusty pointed out, a lot of families are going through this transition. It's not an easy thing. It's part of your identity. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in just taking a step back and sort of disconnecting, but also like looking at signs. For me, like personally, it was time for me to step aside. For the last several years, we were trying to bring somebody in to take over the existing herd. It just, it just wasn't the right scenario. It wasn't the right circumstance. Um, and so it was sometime in January. I woke up one morning. It was not dramatic. It was nothing like there was no major catalyst that forced this decision to happen. But it just occurred to me, like, it's either now or never. Um, economically, we were losing money. I mean, we um, when I came home from college in 2008, our break-even point was very low. The economics of dairy farming has changed to the point that, I mean, we, we were down almost $100,000 in 2023 for a small dairy. So it's very much economic and also, you know, very much looking forward to some changes that are on the horizon. When we come back, I want to talk more about the economics of how this works as far as what we think about family farms versus big dairy and big industrial farms. Our guest is Dan Wegmuller, and our, my guest co-host is Dusty Weiss. This is Spanning the State. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry, along with Dusty Weiss, and we are talking to family farmer from Monroe, Dan Wegmuller, who... Unfortunately, sold his herd over the weekend, but the, the farm is not closing. The farm is not closing doors. We're going to get to that before we let you go today. But we want to still talk about the economics that most family farmers are dealing with right now. Right. Because, again, I feel like Wisconsin is losing a part of its heritage when we lose our dairy farms. And if you look at the numbers, Wisconsin has lost 87 percent of the dairy farms that it had over the last 50 years. Just last year, seven and a half percent of the dairy farms in Wisconsin closed their doors and i think that as city kids we don't necessarily understand what's forcing these really hard economic decisions that people have to make but dan as a small dairy farmer you're essentially talking about a job where you work seven days a week with no vacation days no weekends you're working long hours and you don't have any health insurance provided as a result of that and you're doing all of this work, and in a lot of cases, you're only making twenty-five or $30,000 a year. It's a really hard way to eke out a living. And what also gets lost in this is the fact that the farm alone costs a ton of money. You know, acreage sells for as much as $10,000 an acre right now. So you're talking about, um, if you've got 100 acres, uh, we're talking about, a million dollars just in the acreage on the farm, not to mention the equipment. Uh, a typical farm could be valued at two and a half million dollars 
And if you're only making $25,000 a year off that, that's a 1% return on your capital investment. Not that farming is a capital investment, but tell me a little bit, I mean, just, just as a small dairy farmer, a fourth generation farmer, how frustrating is it trying to eke out a living looking at those kinds of numbers? Yeah, so you hit on two points, and I can condense both of those down very, very simply because you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the statistics, if you look at the economics, you can't wrap your head around it. You're like, why would anybody go into this job that is clearly economic suicide? But it wasn't always like that. Um, the only reason that small dairies are going out of business is because they're easy to liquidate. Hmm. What's happening in the United States right now, I mean, we could talk we could talk for hours about this, but if we condense it down to its core point, what's happening to agriculture in the United States right now is exactly what happened in the Soviet Union leading up to World War II when the when farms were collectivized. Now, we're calling it, we're packaging it slightly different. We're calling it something different. What do we call it? We're calling it uh, bigger is better. We're ta- calling it industrialization. We're t- there's a lot of outside money that is influencing agriculture and the... And the the, fo- the foreign ownership of farmland is a com- completely different topic that I think deserves its own day to dive into. That was, that was something I was unaware of until recently. Have, have me back. Like, I'm okay. trying to sell okay. myself here, too. But <laughs> no, I mean, I think if we condense it down, what is happening in agriculture in the United States right now is identical to what happened in the Soviet Union leading up to World War II, the collectivization of farms. So right, you can see how that turned out. in Wisconsin is has steady. Has 1. Not 2 million cows is the same amount that we had 10 years ago, even though we have so many fewer farms. The cows are being sold off to larger operations. Absolutely. So the second point that you talked about that I want to hit on is why on earth would you do this? So what I can tell you is somebody who grew up, I mean, fourth generation on a dairy farm. I mean, it's not about the money. Like, at the end of the day, you have to have something to show for it. But it's not about the money so much as, I mean, if you look at the time that you put into raising your children, if you look at the time that you put into something that you're passionate about, something that identifies you as a person, I mean, that's what we're losing as an industry. We're losing like that personal touch of it. When an artist sits down and creates anything, a masterpiece of any sort, whatever, whatever, their, um, whatever their pursuit happens to be, you're not doing it to clock time and get paid for it solely. You're doing it because it's, it's an item of self-expression. That's what's going away in farming. When we come back, I want to touch on what you are doing next because you are pivoting. The, the you're not totally selling the farm. Uh, there's going to be agrotourism, which is a term that we is new to me. So we will learn more about that when we come back. This is spanning the state. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry here with Dusty Weiss, my co-host for the day, and Dan Wegmuller, who is a Monroe farmer who has sold the herd but not sold the farm so what is the pivot what are you guys doing next yeah so we found our niche in i would say 20 2017 we saw the writing on the wall with the ag crisis we saw what what we've been living in agriculture for the last several years i saw that in 2017 and recognized that as a small farm we needed to pivot and we needed to make a change and um, you know the thing that I tell every single group that comes through the farm is welcome to Wisconsin, America's dairy land, the dairy state, where it's literally easier for you to get raw fish sushi than it is for you to go to a farm and get milk. Hmm. And so we recognize that there's a deficit of knowledge between how food is produced versus how people perceive how food is produced. Uh, we opened an Airbnb short-term farm stay rental on the farm with some unique opportunities that we had. Started hosting groups in 2018, literally at a time when we were facing bankruptcy and thought we were going to exit the industry out of force. Um, and now here we are. Here we are seven years later. 
Uh, we've got, we are booked on any given 12 month calendar year. We're booked about 75% of the time. And in the tourism and hospitality industry, you understand how important this is. 65% of our bookings are repeat guests. So we have families coming back from Chicago, a lot of love from Milwaukee, a lot of love from Madison, but also international groups as well. We've hosted from all over the world. Um, and so it's, it's all based on a really fundamental point where, you know, there, there is a separation between farming, how food is produced, and how people perceive it. And, you know, the joke that I let off with in this segment, you know, welcome to Wisconsin, where it's easier to get sushi than it is to go to a farm and get milk. Yeah, that's a joke, but there's a lot of underlying truth behind that. We opened this discussion talking about how Wisconsin is in danger of losing its connection to the farm. When people come from the city and stay on your farm in Monroe, is that the new path forward for Wisconsin's identity as the dairy state? Definitely there's an element of it. And the thing I want to underscore with that is we don't we don't put on a performance. I mean, we don't hide anything. If we have a veterinarian call, uh, we invite people out to witness it. But I, mm. I do think more connection is essential. Well, Dan, thank you so much for making the trip out here. I know that wasn't a we're, it was wonderful having you here in person. I feel like we could talk about this for a lot many more shows, many different topics. But Dusty, thank you so much to you for being here today. This has been a great show. Fast, Absolute pleasure. Fast and furious, but I'm excited for a Brewers game. Hey, Looking forward to doing it again and go Brew Crew, huh? Hey, Kristen, Dusty, thank you so much for having me on. All right. Well, coming up tomorrow on Spanning the State, Dan Schaefer will be here, and we're going to talk about who spent the most money on lobbying in Wisconsin last year and whether and what it got them. Does lobbying work? And then a Wisconsin-born NBA star turns six years old tomorrow. You know who it is, and you know why he's turning six? This is Spanning the State. Brewers baseball is next.